Love God. Lift others. Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's our very special guest, founder and senior pastor of Abundant Church in El Paso, Texas, Pastor Charles Neiman. Amen. All right. I'm going to do old fashioned teaching tonight and uh, just really get down and really purpose that if you came here on a Friday night to hear a preacher from Texas, how blessed you are. You know, it's hard to be humble when you're from Texas. Well, it is. It's, It's hard to be humble. We do it. Because we're from Texas, so we can do it, but it, it's just harder for us. Amen. Thank you for your understanding and your prayers. Okay. And so I'm going to take you into some, some things. And what I really purposed when I was thinking about coming here was to, for those of you that come, I just said, Lord, give me something that I can give them that they can use before they get to their car that'll make their life better. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Right? So let's go. Let's pray. Father, we honor you and thank you. And I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the leadership here. Thank you for my great friends, the pastors of this house. As, as John said in the book of Revelation, the angels of the house. And I thank you for them. And I thank you for, for what they're doing in this community and what they're doing and what this church is doing. And it truly is an honor to be here. So I ask you now, Lord, to speak to us. Speak to us by your word and by your spirit. Speak to us. Take one hand, put it on your heart and say, Lord, speak to me. Come on, say it now. Lord, speak to me. I've come tonight to learn. Speak to me. Lord, we are smart enough to know we're not smart enough. Speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to... I, I don't have any notes. I just have the scripture, so we're just going to kind of bang around for about the next three hours, and then we'll wrap up. All right? Not really. Okay? Uh, but th- there's a thought, but there's some things I want to tie in together with you here. All right? So if you have your Bible there, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at a very familiar verse of scripture. Uh, if, if, if you follow, I, I saw the pastor posted a portion of this. He didn't know I was going to teach it. A portion of this. Is it on your website or your Instagram account? So I'd already decided that this is what the Lord had me to share with you. So that was like a little clip, but I'm going to blow it up for you and expand it out. So even if you saw that, you're going to get more than that. All right? So before we begin reading... Or let's just, let's just look at it, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul said, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, 
whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows, such as one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, that man was him. All right? He's describing an experience that he had where he went to the third heaven, right? You know what the third heaven, that's the heaven where God lives. The first heaven is the blue sky you see around you. The second heaven is, is, the, is the universe out there. The third heaven is where God lives. He said, I went to the third heaven. All right? And what's interesting, he said, is that I couldn't tell you if I went in my spirit alone or my body went with me. He said, I, I can't tell, which I find very interesting because then that has always answered the question that people have asked me, Pastor, will we know each other when we get to heaven? Well, obviously, because you look like you do down here. Paul didn't say there was some stranger up there posing as me. I had no idea it was. He said, it was me. I, it was so much me, I couldn't tell if I was in my body or out of my body. All right? That doesn't make your marriage better, but it's fun to talk about. All right? said, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, verse, verse 3, I cannot tell, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. And heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Isn't that fascinating? So God spoke things to him and then told him he could not reveal them. So Paul knew stuff we don't know. Fascinating. Of such an one will I glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Now here is when he begins to change and he begins to bring a thought into it, right? When he brings in this word infirmities. All right? Now, when we think infirmities, we think sickness and diseases. Okay? But all we have to do is do a little bit of, of, of study, a little bit of looking, and we'll discover the word infirmity in the original text has nothing to do with sickness and disease. What it literally means is, when I have it bad. When I have it bad. Now, yes, there were times in Paul's life when he had it bad. Right? When he's being beaten with rods, when he was being stoned to death, when he was shipwrecked, when he was robbed, right? When he, when he was abused, when he was deceived, when his, when his brothers turned against him, when the cities turned against him, right? He had all of this stuff. When, there were times when Paul had it bad. Shouldn't shock us because in John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have temptations, tests, and trials. Be of good cheer. Or I wish that he translated correctly. It should say, "Be have good courage. Have courage, for I have overcome the world. All right? So he said, I will, glory, I will not glory, but, but when I have it bad, I will glory. Now, that's going to make sense to you in a minute. Okay, for though I would desire to glory, I will not, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be, or that he hears of me. Paul said, I'm not asking you to believe things about me above what you see me and what you hear from me. So in other words, the fruit of my life speaks for my life. Okay? I don't have to prove anything beyond what I am and what I say. I don't, there's nothing else that needs to speak for me. That's a good way to live. All right? I don't have to blow smoke. I don't have to try to fool you. I don't have to try to pump you. I don't have to try. My fruit speaks for itself. Amen? 
Then he says, and here it comes, at least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, at least I should be exalted above measure. So here he says that there was given, because he was getting all of this revelation, do we all agree that Paul got revelation? Okay, like no man other than Jesus that has ever lived. Do we all agree on that? Even if you didn't know it, let me tell you, that's true. He said, so I was given this revelation. And he said, at least I should be exalted. Now here's where bad teaching begins to come in. And the teaching is, is that God gave him the revelation, but then God didn't want him to get arrogant, so he gave him the thorn in the flesh, and we automatically assumed it was sickness or disease. But nowhere in Paul's life did he ever mention being sick. Nowhere in his life. He talked about being beaten, being shipwrecked, being robbed, being, being without food, being stoned, right? Being, being whipped. He talked about all that, but he never mentioned about being sick, never asked anybody to pray for him to get well. But he did, at times he did have it bad, but we assume because it's thorn in the flesh. But if you, the word thorn in the flesh is an Old Testament expression that God used to describe some of the inhabitants of the promised land that God told Moses and told Joshua, you got to get rid of them because if you don't, they're going to be a thorn in your side. So people say, oh, we, you know, I, I've, heard, I've heard preachers, good golly, you know, if, you, if you're going to preach, can't you study first? Is that too much to ask? Just don't walk in off the golf course and act like you know what you're doing. Know what you're doing. No, that's just me. Okay? So... He said, he says what the thorn in the flesh was. He didn't say it was sickness. I heard somebody say one time that he had bad knees and he could hardly walk, and yet he walked all over the known world three times in his life. <laughs> somebody said he had this disease in his eyes, and when he would preach, his pus would roll out of his eyes and down his cheeks. Really? And people would stay all night long, would not go to bed, literally stay in a room with Paul all night long with him preaching with pus. Right? Oh, stop it. <laughs> hmm? And if God is God and God knows everything and God knew that the revelation would give him a puffed up head, wouldn't it be easier just to give the revelation to somebody else? You know, when I was 17, I got really upset with my dad more than the one time I'm going to tell you about. But this, this time, I got really upset with him because I could not understand why he would not buy me a Corvette. Don't you think I should have had a Corvette? I'm 72 now, and I still haven't had a Corvette. Can't even talk my heavenly father into giving me one, all right? So... And I said to him one time, I said, why won't you buy me a Corvette? And he said, because you can't handle it, and I'm not going to unwrap you off a telephone pole. Well, there's some truth to that statement. So my dad, knowing my temperament, 
kept the thing away from me that would have destroyed me. If God knew Paul and knew, so wouldn't God, wouldn't God know that Paul had a tendency to get puffed up and arrogant? Although there's no verse of that even applies that anywhere in the New Testament. Wouldn't God just keep the revelation away from him and give it to somebody that could handle it? Come on, if I can figure that out, surely he figured it out. So it wasn't God that gave the thorn in the flesh. In fact, Paul tells you what the thorn in the flesh was. Look at it. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word messenger there, every other place in the New Testament that word appears, it, it, is, it is translated correctly as a spirit or an angel. So there was a spirit from Satan assigned to Paul to try to limit his influence and his effectiveness. Well, I would have done the same thing, right? Paul's my enemy. I'm coming after him. He knows stuff nobody else knows. Peter, James, and John came to him to learn. Okay, and all you got to do, right, is read the book of Acts, and you can see Paul coming into town, got a revival, and then bang, that spirit shows up, stirs the people up. Next thing you know, Paul's getting stoned, beaten with rods, thrown in jail, back wide open, and he moves on to another town, has another revival, that spirit catches up, and that's the pattern of Paul's life in the book of Acts. Exactly what he said. Okay, now we're not even at the good stuff yet. Okay, this is like the chips and salsa. Okay, and then he says, now watch this. Now here's, here's where we, this, I, I want you to see this. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So he said, I asked the Lord three times to get this can I just give you the Charles name and try to say, get this devil off my back. Okay? Three times I've asked him to do it, to get this devil off my back. Now, God gives an interesting answer. And it's an answer that is applicable to my life and your life. Now, watch what he says in verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace. Now, what is his grace? Grace has basically two definitions in the New Testament. The first definition is grace is God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So you have favor with God and from God for your life that you don't have to earn. You don't have to jump through hoops. God gifts you. With favor. Charles Neiman translation, favor means you don't get what you deserve. You get what the Father wants you to have for your life. Okay? We are not saved by works, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. So let's move that one aside. Because the other definition of grace is an endowment of power. Now, most of us, when we think of grace, we don't think of power. But we need to change our thinking. All right? We, we, we've spent so much time, and I've been a proponent of it, on the favor part. And thank God we don't have to go either or. We can have both. Amen? 
And if you're not speaking and believing, or let me rephrase that, if you're not believing and speaking God's favor over your life, your family, your kids, your business, your church, you should. It's favor with God and from God into your life. The Bible says Jesus increased in favor with God and with man. All right? So let's continue. He said, my grace or my favor or my power is sufficient for you. Now write this down. Are you glad you came so far? It's going to get really good. I'm building. Here we go. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, most people, when they read that or they think about it, they think what God said to Paul was, well, just learn to live with it. My grace is sufficient for you. Learn to live with it. It's not what he said. All right? The word sufficient there means my grace is strong and able to assist you in your life. So write that down if you're taking notes. My grace is strong and able. My grace has been given to bring strength and ability to your life. My grace. The grace that Paul had, you have. It's in your life to do the same thing that it was in Paul's life to do. All right? He said, my grace is here to be strong and to assist you in life. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, the word weakness there means when I am being oppressed or I am being distressed. Now watch this. This is going to make sense to you. All right? So God, so Paul said, my strength, and the strength comes from where? From the grace. Because the grace is sufficient, which means it is strong and able to assist you. Okay, you got to think now. All right? So Paul said, now look, so my strength is made perfect in weakness. So even though I'm in a place of being, let me read to you again, oppressed and distressed, I have strength and ability. Okay? Now watch. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore. Hmm? Years ago, there was a famous Bible teacher. His name was Kenneth Hagin. He used to say, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for because it's there for a reason. <laughs> right? And you, grammar, all you grammar school teachers here, you, you, I think you'll have asked this. The, the word therefore is a conjunction. And a conjunction is a word that ties the thought that preceded it with the thought that follows it. So it's not a new thought, it is an additional thought that gets its truth from the thought that preceded it. All right? So he says, so let's just flip it a little bit. Therefore, 
I will most gladly rather glory in my infirmities. And what does the word infirmities mean? When I have it bad. When I have it bad, when I have it bad, I'm going to glory in that. Now, he's not saying he's thinking God he has it bad. He's going to glory in it, or he's going to receive glory. He's going to hear glory. He's going to see glory manifested. Glory simply means the weight of God upon your life. Glory is not a cloud. Glory is the weight of God. Or let me say the way that we all say it all the time, right? It is the presence of God. It is the promise of God. It is the manifestation of God's power in your life. Paul said, so when I am weak, right? Or he says here, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities when I'm being oppressed, when I'm being distressed, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now watch, therefore, he just adds more to it, right? He's taking the hot fudge and putting it on the ice cream now. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. He comes back to this word infirmities. So I take pleasure in infirmities. Now this isn't some weird spiritual Christian wacko doctrine, right? Where God asks us to do things that are impossible to do. You know, I used to struggle with this. And, you know, most of the scripture I readily embrace and I really love it and I enjoy it. But maybe I can help you tonight. There's a few things in this book I disagree with. And if I had been asked if it was okay to write it, I would have said, no, just leave that part out. (laughs) Can I tell you what, what the top of my one is? Love your enemies. I've been a Christian now for 50 years, and I I think on that scale of 1 to 10, I may be at a 6. I'm just not wired that way. Some of you are. You're so wonderful. They're probably named a street after you in heaven. But, uh, yeah. um, one time I was reading that verse there in, in, in Luke and in Matthew, and I, I just said to the Lord, I said, seriously? Love your enemies? I said, I'll tell you this, I'll love them when they're dead. How's that? I'm going to go Old Testament on you here, Lord. <laughs> Right? So I'm just telling you, there's some verses that I have struggled with because they just seem impossible to do. Can anybody agree with me on that? I mean, it just seems impossible. But God doesn't tell you to do it if you can't do it. But that's where you need His strength and His ability to assist you in the form of His grace that has been given to you. Right? He said, therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities. Now, let me give you all these definitions because it's amazing. Are you glad you came tonight? In reproaches. The word reproach means when I'm being treated shamefully. Right? I'm 
going to be honest with you tonight. There have been some times in my life, even while I've been pastoring, where, in my opinion, I've been treated shamefully. I, I'm just being honest with you. I, I've been treated shamefully. I've, I've had pastors in El Paso. I, you know, we're supposed to be on the same team that have said things about me they knew were wrong, were lies, and they said them from their pulpit. They said them on their radio shows. They accused me of things. They called me names in Spanish. I guess it never crossed their minds that 90% of my church is bilingual, and somebody would come and tell me what they said. I guess they thought, because I don't speak Spanish, that I would never know what they said. Not the sharpest pencils in the box. So I was treated shamefully. Maybe you have been too. Now let's tell the truth tonight. These things that he's going to list right here, none of them are fun. It's not fun to be treated shamefully. It's not fun. What, what does it mean, right? To be distressed and oppressed. It's not fun. I've been distressed. I've been oppressed. Am I getting through to anybody tonight? It's not fun. It's not fun. He continues, Therefore I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, when I'm mistreated shamefully, in necessities. The word necessities means when I have opposing forces. When there are forces that are opposing me. Does that ring a bell for anybody, right? I mean, you're, you're up against something. It could be a person. It could be a devil. It could be a person who's filled with a devil. <laughs> right? It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody in your own house. Hmm? It could be the people that raised you. I would, you cannot imagine how much I would love to come in here tonight and tell you that once Rochelle and I started the church and we were going, that we got total support from our families, that'd be a lie. They opposed us. They tried to talk us out of it. They told us how embarrassed they were of us, how we had let them down, how they couldn't believe that, you know, that I'd left the church that I was raised in. It's a funny thing with people. Well, there's a lot of funny things with people. This is the first one that popped in my mind. All right? How, how, how you may know people or you may be related to people. Now listen, this is a little tricky. Who get mad at you or who are mad at you because you are, are no longer going to the church that they don't go to either. Right, I'm going to let that. I'm going to let you sort that one out. Right? Let me give it to you again. So they're mad at you because you don't go to the church. They don't go to. So when you see them on Sunday, they didn't go to the church that you didn't go to, but they're mad at you. Because you went to this church instead of you did you went you didn't go to the church they didn't go to. That's just some people need prayer. All right, 
So does that make sense to you? And they will oppose you. They will oppose you. Now, I will tell you this, that when our church got bigger and my parents started getting discounts and started having church members give them things for free and helping them out and getting them into their doctor's appointments quicker and, and carrying their stuff out to the car and coming to their house and fixing their plumbing and not charging them, suddenly they were real proud of their son, the preacher. <laughs> Family, huh? You get to pick your friends, but you're stuck with your... Okay, here we go. In necessities, in persecutions. The word persecutions means when I'm pursued with acts of hatred. When I'm pursued with acts of hatred. I'm here. Not very long ago, right? I was talking to my kids, and there was a, a guy in town, and he was losing his mind. Uh, in regard to us. And I, I said to him, I said, do you guys realize this guy's been pursuing me for 40 plus years? Pure hatred. Now, we can laugh about it and say whatever, but okay, now watch. This is all going to tie together, right? He said, I will glory in this. And then here it comes. In distresses, the word distresses, listen to this. If this isn't right out of society today, anxiety or discomfort from within. Paul? Paul struggled with this anxiety? Yeah. Discomfort inside. Right, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you're like me. Right, there have been times I know I've walked in the room and everybody was like, "Wow, Charles, oh, it's so great," and you had no idea what I was going through internally. How uncomfortable I was. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Right. So yeah, okay. So what about all this? This didn't sound real positive so far, but it's going to be great. And then he wraps it up for when. I am weak. For when I am weak. And what does the word weak mean? When I am oppressed and distressed. I think that he used that word weak to summarize all the other words we just broke down. Right? That you could put persecutions, distresses, infirmities, all of that into the word weak. When I'm oppressed or distressed, watch what he says. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, what is he saying here? Okay, now here it comes. Here comes the meat. In our life, we all have problems. Weak, distress, oppress, infirmities. Can I hear some good amens? We all have them. So what did God teach Paul and teach us through Paul's life? Right? Did you respond to the problem with the promise? Did you hear that? You respond. Okay, now I'm going to back up. Here we go. All right? 
every one of you in here that have made Jesus, thank you, that have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you now live in the kingdom of God. Right? Colossians 1. He has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. You now live in the kingdom of God. And when you live in the kingdom of God, you live according to the laws of that kingdom, according to the principles that cause that kingdom to operate. No different than living in America. Right? There are laws that govern this land. If you live in harmony with them, you're going to have a pretty good life. If you don't, ooh. No different anywhere else, right? Most of you, I'm sure, possibly have never been to Singapore. I've had the pleasure of going a couple times. Incredibly beautiful, great place to live, right? Incredibly safe. But you better not be breaking any laws. No, 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 no. You better not be breaking any laws. They will fall on you like bad. And Americans go over there and think that it's the same over there that it is over here. It's not. That's their country, their laws, the people that live there love it. And if you're going to live there, you're going to conform to them. They're not going to conform to you. Okay? Now, some of you say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I think it's kind of oppressive. Yeah, most Americans do. But I will also tell you this, that every one of you women in this room can go for a walk in Singapore at 3 o'clock in the morning by yourself, and you don't have to worry about anything. No, you don't have to think about it. Because the penalty for sexual assault and rape in Singapore is death. Not prison, not rehab, death within six weeks. They're done with you. The same thing is true with drug dealing. If you're a drug dealer in Singapore, they kill you. So there's very little drugs. So we find it harsh but it also produces some pretty cool stuff. So let's come back. You live in the kingdom of God, and there are principles that govern life inside that kingdom. Laws, if you would. Not the law, but law. Paul said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So you have these laws of life, right, that produce in your life. And inside the kingdom of God, how do we live? How does the Bible tell you to live inside the kingdom of God? For we live by faith. We walk by faith. We don't live by love. We walk in love, but we live by faith we walk by faith. So faith is the governing force of life inside the kingdom. Are you with me? All right? So then, I think I've taught you this before, and I'm sure Pastor has, right? So then we have to ask this question. So then what is faith? What is faith? 
Second Corinthians, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter 4 says that we having received the same spirit of faith as is written, God speaking to himself, I believe in him, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, get ready, and therefore we speak. So this thing called faith has two components. Faith is believing and speaking, believing and speaking, believing and speaking, believing and speaking. It's not just speaking. In fact, Paul said, we believe and therefore we speak, saying that our believing is to drive our speaking. So my believing, I am to believe what God has said. So what is God asking of you in your life? What does God ask you to do? He asks you to do two things. He asks you to, well, he asks you more than that, but in this area right here, right? He asks you to believe what he has said about your life, to believe what he has said about your life, and then, because you believe it, to speak it. So God says, believe what I said, what I said about your life, and then because you believe what I've said about your life, here's how faith works. I created faith. I invented faith. I gave you faith to live by because faith overcomes the world, right? Above all, taking the shield of believing and speaking, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fire of the the wicked. Now, believing and speaking is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So because I believe, then I speak. All right, I'm going to quote to you. Are you with me so far, right? So now I'm going to quote to you this great, great verse of Scripture, two verses in Mark the 11th chapter. Jesus said, have, in verse 22, have the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you, or have the God kind of believing and speaking. Romans chapter 12 says when you got born again, God gave you the measure of the God kind of faith. You have, every one of you in this room that have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have all the faith you will ever need. You don't need more faith. Don't come up and ask pastor to pray. Pastor, lay hands on me and God give me more faith. Right? Again, I'm going to quote Brother Hagin. That's empty hands on empty heads. You got all the faith you need. You know what your problem is? You don't need more faith. You need to develop the faith you have. That's all you have to do. You just have to grow it. In fact, the New Testament speaks to us about growing in faith. And how do you grow in faith? Faith cometh by understanding the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So that's why we ask you to come to church. That's why we ask you to study your Bible. That's why pastors get up here and ask you to read your Bible. That's why I ask you to come to church. Why? Why do we do that? Because we want your life to get better. You understand that, right? We want your life to get better. And these are the steps you take to get your life to be better. There's no shortcuts. Hmm? You know, I work out a lot. And so I talk about it at my, at my church. And so every year I have this experience. Somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, I heard you talking about working out and getting in shape. So I've started going to the gym and they always do this. And look at me. I got new muscles. And I go, good for you. But the truth is, those muscles are not new. 
they've actually been in your body since you were conceived in your mother's womb. You don't go to the ER and get a muscle transplant. Okay? But my family, come on, you don't grow your muscles by knowing somebody that's in shape. You don't get in shape because you drive by a gym. You don't get in shape because you join a gym. You don't get in shape because you walk inside the gym. You don't get in shape because you stand next to a guy who's in shape. There's only one way you got to shape. You got to lift the weights, baby. You got to lift the weights. So how do you grow your faith? By understanding the word of God. How can you believe in what you don't know? Hmm? Okay. So we walk by, we live in faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing and speaking. And Mark, Jesus said, have the God kind of believing and speaking. For verily, verily, I say unto you that whosoever. So do I have any whosoever's in the room with me tonight, right? Yeah. That whosoever, I love that because he didn't say apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. No, he said whosoever. I love the word whosoever because somewhere in that word is me. Somewhere in that long line of human whosoever's is Charles. The whosoever shall say, shall say, have the God kind of believing and speaking. That whosoever shall say, what is, what is faith? Believing in speaking. So if you're speaking, aren't you also saying? That whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now what is a mountain? A mountain is anything that's standing between you and the fulfillment of God's problem. It can be a Emotional mountain, it could be a financial mountain, it could be a physical mountain, it can be a relationship mountain, it can be a sickness mountain, it could be a whatever. You just fill in the blank. It could be all the above. That whoever shall say unto this mountain, and what did he say to say to it? Be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. Charles Neiman translation, you gotta get on up out of here. And not only are you gonna get up on out of here, you ain't coming back. into the sea and shall believe right that whosoever shall stand in this mountain be thou removed notice he didn't say to learn to live with the mountain cope with the mountain learn from the mountain oh my god the stuff people come up shall say into the mountain get out of here And whoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast to sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now write this down if you don't know it. The word doubt there means withdraw. So what did Jesus say? What Jesus said was, when you speak to the mountain, don't back off of the mountain. Keep speaking to the mountain. 
Keep speaking. Don't pull your faith, don't pull your believing and speaking off of the mountain. Can I submit to you tonight that all of this list that we just went here right there are reasons to withdraw your faith from the mountain. And if you're not careful, what will happen here, right? And what Paul was saying, this is what he said. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He didn't say, he did not say, for when I am weak, then I am weak. He said, no. When I have oppression, when I have all of these things he listed, he said, this is what I learned from God's grace. I respond to the problem with the promise. I respond to the problem with the promise. I respond to the problem with the promise. I don't respond to the problem. I don't start believing and speaking about the power of the problem. Did you catch what I just said to you? I don't respond to the problem by giving, by, by talking about how, how, what I believe about the problem. Hmm? Not picking on anybody. Sure, Pastor had the same thing. You'd be amazed how many people have come up to me and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about my cancer. Why did you present that possessive pronoun on that? My diabetes. My crazy kids. My lousy marriage. Now, all of that's real. Infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecution, distresses, weakness. It's all real. Paul said, but I learned something. I don't respond to the problem by talking about the problem. I respond to the problem with the promise. For when I am weak, when weakness shows up, I come back at it with strength. I come back at it in the light of God's promise. I do what Jesus said to do in Mark 11. All right? Now watch this. You're going to love it if you've never heard this. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The word strong has the following definitions in the Greek English New Testament Dictionary. Paul said, when, I, when I'm facing these distresses, right? However it manifests, when I'm facing them, he said, I respond from a position of strength because of God's grace. Remember, he said, my grace is what? Strong and able to assist you. Almost done. He said, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And the word strong means I am firm, I am fixed, I am established. But listen to this. In the literal Greek text, the New Testament written in, Paul said, I am strong, I am able, and I can. I am strong, I am able, and I can. I am strong, I am able, and I can. I am strong, I am able, and I can. He didn't say when I'm weak, I'm weak. He said, no, when I'm weak, I'm strong, I'm able, and I can. When I'm being oppressed, I'm strong, I'm able, and I can. When I'm being persecuted, I am strong, I am able, and I can. Hmm? Now I'm going to tell a story about my mom. 
who was an original. And I can tell this story now because she's in heaven. My dad was, got very sick one time, and he was in the ER, and they told us that he might not make it through the night. He ended up living like seven more years. But at the moment, it was frightening. All right? So we were in the ER, and it was me and her, my mom, Rochelle, Jared, Shannon, and my two brothers. So they're moving moving him from the ER to the ICU. So we're walking out, And my mother says, she stops in the middle. She's quite the drama queen. She stops in the middle of the ER, right? She says, we got to make it about her. He's dying, but we got to make it about you. Some people are, anyway, so... She says, she stops, I'll never forget, and goes. And I'm just like, oh, my God. (laughs) And she goes, I can't take this anymore. And I guess maybe it's because I'd been up 36 hours. I looked over at her, and I said, So do you have another universe you're going to go live in? She went, what? I said, no, do you have another universe that you're going to go live in? Have you got some Star Trek thing going on between you and Scotty, and he's going to beam you up and take you to another universe where you don't have to live in this one? Because if you do, would you let the rest of us know? She said, I don't understand what you're telling me. I said, what I'm telling you is, Mom, you have no choice but to keep taking this unless you are willing to play your final option, which is when your husband of 40 plus, 50 plus years is in the hospital, you go ahead and divorce him. Then you can walk out. Well, I would never do that to your father. I said, well, then you're going to keep taking it, so quit talking that. Some of you are like, I'm glad you're not my son. You probably are glad I'm not your son. Because in the next moment, my overly dramatic, super dramatic brother, who learned from my mother, decides to faint. I'm going to tell the whole story so you know the whole story. I went, I'm out of here. Weren't you concerned about it? We're in the ER. There's no better place in the world you can faint than in an ER of a major hospital. Some of you have relatives like that. Aren't they fun?
Some people you have to just love by faith. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so back to the point. I don't know why I told you that. Maybe, maybe it'll help somebody. So here it is, right? So here, but here, here's the challenge. The challenge is responding to the problem with the promise. Because the challenge is so loud, so strong, it affects our emotions, it affects our sight, it affects our senses, right? It's screaming. And Paul said, in the beginning, that's what he was doing. He was saying, God, you got to do something about this. God, you got to do this. God says, I've, I've given you the strength. I've given you the ability. Take your focus off of the problem and put your focus back on the, pro- on the promise. Respond to the mountain. Respond to the problem with the promise, right? And so he said, now I get it. Now, when these things come at me, I'm not afraid of them. I'm not scared of them. I am strong. I am able. And I can. Because what do these, pro- what do these problems t- tell you? That you're weak. You're going to fail. You're not going to make it. It's going to turn out bad. Your life is going to suck. Things are going to go downhill. You're not going to get over it. Your kid's never going to change. Some of you were raised in very encouraging atmospheres, and some of you were raised in very negative atmospheres. And it was hammered into you that you couldn't do, and you can't do, and you'll never do. And we don't have, we come from a family of people that don't make it, and we don't do this, and we don't do that. You know, one of the things I hear in El Paso all the time I have men and women come into me, and we'll be talking. And, and the woman will say, well, pastor, all the women in my family treat our husbands this way. And my smart aleck reply is, and how's that working for all the women in your family? I already know the answer to that. Hmm? Well, let me figure it out. You're here in my office on a Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock when you've got a job and your husband's got a job and you're sitting in pastor's office because this man is about to put you out. Because he ain't going to take it anymore. So what are you doing, Right? You're holding on to the problem instead of replacing the problem with the promise. My family, this is life in God's house. This is life in God's kingdom. What I'm telling you tonight, right, when it's all said and done and I'm done, when it's all said and done, you have to go for If you're going to receive what God has, you're going to get victory. You're going to walk in the promise. You're going to, you have to speak to the problem with the promise. But what most people do is they believe and speak the problem. They have more belief in the problem. Am I getting through to you? And it's, a, it's, it's an issue that I've had to overcome in my life. And you have to train yourself. Then when weak comes, you respond with, 
I can't take it. No, I don't know what's going on. This is horrible. Where's God? I don't get it. I didn't think this. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Paul said, when I am weak, I come back at it with strength. I come back at it from the grace of God. I come back at it with strength and ability. I put the promise to the problem. Ultimately in your life, my family, this is it. It's going to be true in your life according to what you believe and speak. Now, there's a couple of other exceptions to that, but ultimately, so what? Are, so I'm going to ask you tonight, what are you believing and speaking? Hmm? What are you believing and speaking? Go home tonight and do an inventory. Listen inside. Turn the TV off. Turn your Facebook off. Oh, my God, I know that scares some of you, right? But turn it off. Get quiet and listen to what is going on in there. And do an inventory to what you are really believing. Are you believing God's promise and not remember, it's not enough just to believe it. You gotta speak it too. Well, I don't understand what I'm speaking. I don't either. I didn't write the laws. He did. Quit arguing. Line up. Take the principle. Apply it to your life. Stand to your feet with me. Are you glad you came tonight? Amen. Good night. Wow, thank you for giving me so much time to teach. That was awesome. I never get this much time. I usually get half this much time. Lift your hands towards heaven. Say it out loud with me. I believe tonight. Okay, now say it like you mean it. I believe tonight that I am strong and able because God's strength and ability has been given to me. I am a believer. I'm not a doubter. I'm not drawing back. I'm here. I'm going to speak to the mountain. And I'm going to keep speaking to the mountain. I purpose tonight. I will respond to every problem, not with faith in the problem, but with faith in the promise. I am a child of the promise. I'm a child of God. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I'm a believer. I'm strong. I am able, and I can. Say it again. I am strong. I am able. And I can. One more time. I am strong. I am able. And I can. Now give God glory for it. Amen. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store. And you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.